Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. And the Bible says, let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. You can see why I want to just finish out with one verse. That's loaded. There is a lot in that verse. But look at look at this. The desire, see that? Let us not be desirous. The desire here will equal the end result. And what's the end result? If you want glory, if you want the glory, you will provoke and you will end envy, and so will I. If you use liberty for an occasion to the flesh, we've preached on that before. If you walk according to the flesh, we saw that earlier in Galatians 5. If you haven't crucified your flesh, all the ingredients are going to be there for the recipe of disaster that is described here. It's going to be a disastrous story of vainglory. I didn't plan for that to rhyme, but it does. Maybe that will help us all to remember it. And these ingredients that Paul is trying to warn us to stay away from, we'd be best to take heed. Now, look at the mentality in Galatians chapter 5. What is the type of glory we are dealing with? The Bible tells us very simply, it's vain. And could we all agree this morning that people today, Americans especially today, we could even subsection that out and even say American, quote unquote, Christianity. They're just full of themselves. Themselves. I was watching something uh, the other week and um, I when I, when I first started watching this church service, I thought it was a I thought it was a rock concert. I couldn't tell the difference. People want the glory. Look at me. And Paul is warning us we need to be careful. We need to be very, very careful. Even, even, here, here's something interesting. Some Christians will boast that they'll never miss a Sunday service. Have you ever talked to somebody when you're witnessing to them and you say, um, hey, are you saved? I've been in church my whole life. Never miss a Sunday service. Yeah, but are you saved? (laughs) Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your savior? I go to church all the time. My daddy was a preacher and, and right on down the line. If never missing a Sunday service is the is the measuring stick that we use for our Christianity. We're using the wrong measuring stick. Why are we attending? Are we attending to please our spouse? Are we attending to please our children? Are we intending to please church leaders? Or are we wanting to be fed God's word? Are we wanting to fellowship and commune and worship our living savior? I'd I'd submit that'd be the better reason for us all to attend 
a church service. But let's do some math just by way of bringing all of us down a notch. Uh, Sunday church. If we were to attend two services, a Sunday school and then a Sunday service or the Sunday morning and then the Sunday evening, on average, people would attend three hours for a Sunday. It'd be three hours. So that's that's pretty good. I think that's pretty good. I mean, three hours on a Sunday. All right. How many Sundays do we have in a month? We have four. Four times three hours each Sunday. That gives us 12 hours in a month. I wish Wesley was here. He's a math whiz. He, he would follow these numbers. No problem. Everybody staying with the numbers? That's pretty easy, right? How many hours in a month? 12 hours times 12 months. At the end of the year, that gives us 144 hours. 144 hours divided by 24 hours in one day gives us six days. We did all that math to figure out that 365 days are in a year. And if you take away the six days that we attend church, <laughs> that leaves us another 359. So a big whipty do to all of us when we do the math. We're at church for six days out of the year. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it from that way, it's pretty weak for all of us. And I just say that because we all need to be taken down a notch because worshiping the Lord, yes, we do do it here. Yes, we are commanded to not forsake each other. Yes, we are commanded to assemble together. Yes, we see the pattern through Acts where Christians gathered themselves locally to a fellowship of believers. We see all of that. You're for all of that. I'm for all of that. But what are we doing for the rest of the 359 days? Are we living for the Lord? In other words, should any of us really boast? Oh, wow. Six days a year. There's no room for boasting in the Christian life at all. And the Bible tells us, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Get over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, we'll start reading at verse number 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but... To preach the gospel. That's a pretty simple verse for any Church of Christ preacher to understand. <laughs> We're not preaching baptism as the way of salvation. We preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. You want to boast in your eloquency and the way that you can put together a gospel presentation or a sermon or a Sunday school lesson, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? 
Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And that's what we want to do. Turn on the TV. Turn on the news. Turn on the computer. Get on a scrolling. And man, by the end of the week, we can have all the wisdom of the world. But the preaching of the cross. The world calls it foolish. But to us, it is the power of God. We need to preach the gospel. We can't be so wrapped up in this worldly message that we lose time. And we end up our Christianity is dialed back to six days a week at church on a Sunday by the end of the year. We need to preach the gospel. I can save you a lot of research time. What they're telling you on the news, it ain't true. <laughs> so there you go. But I can tell you in the Bible, it's all true. It's all true. Yeah, but what about? Okay, you're all your whatabouts. Maybe they are true. So get educated. Get yourself prepared. And then find somebody to tell about Jesus. Okay? And and because you want you want their soul. You want their soul saved. For it is written, verse 19. Uh, I'm sorry, verse number 20. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world, by wisdom, knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that are baptized in water. Nope. To save them that go to church every Sunday and never miss. Nope. To save them that have more do-gooder works than they have bad doer works. No, it doesn't say that either. God, by the foolishness of preaching, to save them that believe. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that to the world seems foolish. But don't allow them to talk you into a foolish man, to being a fool. You preach the gospel. You tell people about the power of God. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, verse 22. But we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, and under the Greeks foolishness. But under them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. What do you preach to a Greek person? The gospel. What do you preach to a Jewish person? That would be the gospel. Because the foolishness of man is wiser. The foolishness of God is wiser than man. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Any part of your flesh, any part of your mind, any part of your being that wants to glory, put it all aside. It'll turn into vain glory. No flesh will glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, 
let him glory in the Lord. We would all do better to just glory in God. I won this game. I won this award. I got this accolade. I made it this far. I got accepted into this college. I'm not saying don't have things to strive for in this life. What I'm saying is, if you want to boast in yourself that you got accepted into this college or you got this job, let me ask you a question. Who gave you the ability to be able to do the interview and think through and answer the questions? Who gave you the breath of life to be able to run that fast, to get the scholarship to run for some school? In case you haven't heard of them, that'd be God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave us the breath of life and the abilities and the talents to do what we accomplish here. And we give, if we're not careful, we give ourselves and our flesh all the glory. We do best to just glory in the Lord. You win something, praise the Lord. You get some recognition, praise God. God allowed me to get to this place in my life. We need to glory in God. When we saw in 1 Corinthians, you want to be wise. If you want vain glory, you and I will be brought to nothing. You want to be wise. You want to be a, dispute, a, a disputing scribe. I, for one, am fine with pleasing God through the foolishness of preaching. Why? 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 To save them that believe. To save them that believe. Don't look to provoke or to envy. Instead, preach Christ crucified. Who can call our God a foolish God? He is wiser than any man. Who can call our God a weak God? He is stronger than any man. You think you're wise? You think you're mighty? God will just confound you. And you and I might, or other people might, have vainglory right now. Or when things are going well for us. Or when we walk out on the big stage. No flesh will ever glory in his presence. He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. That'd be a good place to say amen. Him, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. We've got a God to glory in. Notice in Galatians 5, that last verse, it says vain. It's empty, it's worthless, it's of no value. You know, people use vain words. They take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. They go after vain things, First Samuel tells us, for they're vain. The heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing. Why? They are vain men, and they are looking for vain glory. What are you looking for this morning? To glory in the Lord or to glory in yourself? To preach the gospel or not? Let's get Psalm 33. Psalm 33. Let's see a few examples here. Psalm 33. Verse 
number 17. Psalm 33, verse number 17. And horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. You ever see a horse? Not, I'm not talking about on Roy Rogers. I'm talking about really in life. They're massive animals. They have a lot of strength and a lot of power. And you know, back in the day where your military strength would come from? The amount of horses that you had. If you put your safety, if your safety net is your horse, if your safety net is your health, if your safety net is anything but the Lord, if your safety net is your finances and your financial statement, it's vain. It is vain. You know what? Do you know what went out of style for an army and military power? Horses. Because the horse was replaced with what? Other things more powerful. Tanks and machines and going down the line. Well, I'm for guns, God, and diesel smoke, amen. I'm from the South. All right, well, great. If that's where you're, if you're putting your safety in guns, what do you do when they release a virus? An AK-47 can only take you so far. Praise God, I've got safety because i got plenty of guns. I'm not saying throw away your guns, get as many as you can and as much ammunition as you can. Just throwing that out there. But what I am saying is, what are all of your guns and all of your ammunition going to do for you when they shut down the Internet? Or when they put something in the water supply? Or a drought comes and nobody can grow crops? What I'm saying is, whatever we put safety in, if it's not God, it's going to be vain. It's going to be vain. It's going to be vain. Understanding. Look at Proverbs. Let's go over to Proverbs 12. Proverbs chapter number 12. Proverbs chapter number 12, and in verse number 11, The Bible says, he that tilleth his land shall be satisfied with bread. Well, amen. That means you need to work in order to eat. But he that followeth vain persons is void of understanding. You know what the Bible tells us? You can do something really good and really right. Work your land. Get some food. And eat. But it's contrasted with, even with that, you follow somebody that's vain, you're going to be void of understanding. Why? You ever hear the saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future? You pick a child, you show me that child's five closest friends. And I can tell you where that child's going just by biblical principles of how the pattern has gone over the years. That's true for all of us. We, we don't want to be void of understanding because we're following somebody that is vain. Look at Proverbs chapter 31. 
Proverbs chapter 31. I'm sure all you ladies are very familiar with this chapter of scripture. But I'd like to look at verse number 30. Look what it says. Favor is deceitful. And beauty is vain. How many women spend more time fixing their hair, fixing their clothes, fixing themselves, fixing their house? And don't get me wrong, every fellow wants a lady that does all those things. So I'm not saying don't do those things. Keep doing them. But outside beauty only isn't really beautiful. Because the Bible continues to say, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. You know where the fear of the Lord comes from? That's inside. And when it comes inside, and the fear of the Lord is what is inside, and it comes out, all that outward beauty is just magnified because beauty isn't all young, all young fellows when, 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 when they meet who they think is God's will for their life, they look and they say, wow, that I like the way she looks. Fine. We all do that. But if you don't like the way she looks inside, it's going to be a vain, glorious disaster. <laughs> because if she doesn't fear the Lord, if she's not God fearing, you are going to have a boom, an explosion is going to happen. Because the beauty is only going to last so long on the outside. And the thing ain't going to work. Because beauty, true beauty comes from someone that fears the Lord. That's what a Christian, a Christian man and a Christian woman should be looking for in a mate. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. God isn't telling us to walk around trying to be as ugly as we can be and as smelly as we can be and have our hair as ratty as it can be and our nails with dirt under it and God's not telling us to do that. He's trying to give us a perspective of, do you fear the Lord? Where's God in this? Where's God in it? Jeremiah chapter 10, verse number three, the Bible says, for the customs of the people are vain. People have vain customs. They put more stock in a custom than they do in God. For one cutteth the tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with an axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. And people read that and say, well, that can't really mean what it says. And when you think that, it really does mean what it says. And even if you found something in a blog and that, and that preacher told you, well, that's not really what it means. No, that's really what it means. What I'm saying is if our customs become more important then God himself, it's vain. It's absolutely vain. 
I have a custom. It's customary for me to be in church on Sunday morning and Sunday evening and Thursday. Is that a good custom or a bad custom? Question is, is God in it? Do I fear God? Who and what is the motivation? We'll go over to Matthew 6. Let's look at two more and we'll move on. Matthew chapter 6. There's so many of these. We'll do two more. But look at Matthew chapter 6. I gave you an example of a custom that can be either good or bad. Um, how many of you think it's a good thing for Christians to pray? And I put your hand up if you think it's a good idea for Christians to pray. We all agree that Christians should pray, right? But again, it comes down, not the custom, not the prayer. It comes down to where is God in it? Where is God? Look at chapter 6, verse 7. But when you pray, use not repetitions as the heathen do. Now, if you're following along with me, did I read that verse correctly? I didn't read that verse correctly. Because I repeat many prayers. Brother Kelly will repeat many prayers if we're praying for the same person over and over again. We're not going to change the prayer because we have to repeat it. <laughs> what does it say? But when you pray, use not vain repetition. What is vain? We looked at that earlier. It's vain. It's worthless. It's meaningless. All you're doing is spewing words. It means nothing to God. I'm telling you, these religions, I was brought up in a religion that taught you and it taught me to pray using vain repetition to a vain God. A worthless God, a so-called little G God. You just say this prayer. You just grab these beads and you pray. You hold this bead and you pray the prayer. And then you hold the, the second bead. You pray the same prayer. Then you hold the third bead and you say the same prayer. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women and blessed the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners. Now at the hour of our death, amen. And then you do that 10 times. You know why they have you do it 10 times? Because I don't even believe in any of that stuff, and I still remember it. But it's worthless. It's praying to a worthless God. Because the Jesus of a false religion is not the Jesus of the Bible. It is vain repetition to get you to be a clog to the system that enslaves people. For eternity. You know what that system is? Religion. Religion enslaves only Jesus saves. How does that work with Baptist churches? Well, just keep, keep them coming. You got to be here every time the doors are open. I want everybody here every time the doors are open. Let me, I'll just, let me, I'll just throw that out there and be honest, all right? I want everybody here. Every time the church services, if we have one, I want people here. That's the desire of my heart. But it would be much different if I say, if you don't get here every church service, you ain't right with God. You better get here or God's going to strike you down. 
you better get here or you're not going to be this and you're not going to be that. You, you sense the difference of the tone and the, and the message and the motive and the meaning? I can get you and all religion basically wants to get you to do something repetitively. So it just becomes rote memorization. It just becomes a habit. Your heart's not into it. It's vain. It is worthless. How many parents have seen kids grow up and they, and they do A, B, C, D, A, B, C, D, A, B, C, D. And then they grow up and they just fly the coop, as they say in the chicken world. Because their heart wasn't in it. If somebody's heart isn't in it, it's just vain. It's worthless. Yeah, every time I come home at 5 o'clock, I say I love you to my wife. There she is. I love you. I got to do it at 9 o'clock, too. Okay, good morning. I love you. Now I'm back home at 5. I love you. Now it's 9 again in the morning. I love you. You ain't even looking at her, and you could care less. What are you doing? Something that is vain and worthless. God doesn't want our lives to be vain and meaningless. If we are going to pray, repeat the prayer. But it better not be vain. Make sure your heart is in. You're fervently praying for somebody or a situation. Make sure your heart's in it and you're communing with God. Don't just go through the same words and it doesn't mean anything to you. Our worship, Matthew 15, 19, last one. Matthew 15, 19. I hope this is making sense. Matthew 15, 19, we'll, we'll look at, we kind of mentioned it before, so we'll just touch on it and move on. But uh, verse number nine, Matthew chapter 15, verse number nine. But in vain, they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. That is religion. Watch. I'll show you how to worship God. Follow my commandments. And none of it has to do with the Bible, but you're doing things. How does that work? Well, we just put up a big billboard and we say, come for this Hollywood movie at Church Catalyst, or no, take church out because they don't use church anymore. Just put up Catalyst. And you know these outfits aren't real because they take they take church out and they'll take any type of denomination out because, well, they don't love God. <laughs> but they'll put up, come to the Catalyst. We'll have free donuts, free coffee, and we're going to show this Hollywood movie. And this is at a church, mind you. Come on in. They'll slip in a little bit of Jesus, sell them another activity, sell them another program, get their kids to run around in the bounce house that they have. And they'll get them coming and doing these habits and behaviors that are appealing to, you know what? Their flesh. This ain't my first rodeo, so let me help you. Let me help you if you're raising kids or if you've already raised kids or if you have Family, but look, you know what you're, if I were to take my kid to a, a, a fun house, do you think he'd be begging me to leave or to come more? Pretty easy to build a big church nowadays. You know what mom needs on a Sunday? A break. <laughs> and if we had a bounce house over here 
and we had pretzels the clown over here and we had free coffee and free look i love coffee and donuts where i'm going with this is if we design everything to appeal to the place if anybody wants coffee we have a coffee maker downstairs okay i'm not i'm not anti-coffee but if we design everything to appeal to somebody's flesh, what have we accomplished for God? Yeah, but my kids are having a good time. I know. And I'm for kids having a good time because I've raised kids. I have kids. I know kids. I, I, I want my kids to have a good time. Okay, so I'm for the good time. But I also want them to not live their life through their flesh, glorifying their flesh in vain glory. I want them to love God and to fear God. So what do we do? How do we worship him in spirit and in truth? But in vain, they do worship me. I don't want to be that church. And if that means we're a small congregation, that means we're a small congregation. If that means people say, well, he's mean and hateful, then they'll say I'm mean and hateful. Like I care. I care what God says. So if you tell me something in the Bible, Brother Jimmy, do you see this in the Bible? No. Man, I care about that. But I don't care what the world says. I don't care what any of them say. I want to fear God. I want to worship God in spirit and in truth. I don't want my worship to be vain. Brother Tom brought out in the message, the Sunday school message, Mary Magdalene was alone. She kept following him. She was consistent. Yeah, she may have doubted the resurrection and brought the spices and all that. And he touched on that. It was a great message. But she was all in for Jesus because she was so grateful for what he did for her. She didn't care what people thought. And either should we. By the way, ladies, the first public evangelist, the, per, the first public evangelistic crusade was kicked off by none other than a woman, Mary Magdalene. She got the news. She didn't hold her to, her to herself. Brother Tom did a great job of drawing that out. You know what she did? She went out and she told other people. Praise the Lord. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. There's a part of me that just hates this world. I just look around and I say, man, more things, more stuff, more this, more that. I just wish, I just wish people would just go all out for Jesus Christ. I really do. And I've said this to some of these mega preachers before when I've met them. I said, I want you to do something for me. This Sunday, I want you to get rid of your drum set. This Sunday, I want you to get rid of the girls in the yoga pants. This Sunday, I want you to get all about, all, get rid of all the lights and the beams and the smoke machines. You say they have smoke machines? Yeah, there's a church in town that has a, a fog surface, if you can believe that. They're in towns all over the country, by the way. This isn't like, oh, it's in Cookville. No, it's all over. It's all over the world. Come to our fog service. Get rid of all of that. Get rid of it all. For one Sunday. Now, of course, mind you, I did say this to a guy that bought an old Budweiser brewery. And part of it, he turns into a church. 
but he kept the brewery room because it was a good, going to be a good talking point. Why not get rid of the liquor altogether? Well, you see, it'll bring people in. It's always about we just want to bring people in. Yeah, but you're bringing them in because of fleshly methods. If a guy is a drinker, which most people are, let's just have like a makeshift brewery. And then we can kind of slip Jesus in. I got an idea. How about get rid of the brewery and then go out and tell them about Jesus? Will that be too much work? And that doesn't work. And only those mean, hateful, bigoted, narrow-minded preachers do that. Okay, well, that's me. You want me to come? No, they don't want you there. Because everything they have is vanity, vanity. It's all vanity. We're going to win people with Jesus and with God's word. Or, or I could just go out and start another business and we can kind of call it a church, but it really isn't. It's not. They're not churches. All right, let's get back to Galatians chapter 5. Paul says, and I love this about Paul, and I want to be careful to make sure I'm a Paul in this sense. He says, let us. He doesn't say, hey, you guys. Paul includes himself. And so what I want to say to you this morning is, let us. We're a team. We're a local church family. Let us not be desirous. He includes himself. The Christian legalist, here's what his what he does. It's comparative righteousness. Look at what I do and look at what you don't do. That's the Christian legalist. The Christian legalist says, well, I'm such a do-gooder. Now, mind you, we all should be doing good work, right? But that's not the legalist mentality. He always has a comparative righteousness. But isn't it easy to find somebody to compare ourselves to and say, well, I'm better than that man or that woman? It's pretty easy. Just go down to the rescue mission. <laughs> well, I made, a, I made a better life for myself than those guys. Yeah, you did. It's called comparative righteousness. And you may have made a better life, but who are you glorying? You or the fact that God gave you everything that you have? And then the Christian... I call them the licensist. There's the legalist and the licensist. The licensist just wants a license to sin. He's saved by grace and he uses grace to just sin. They celebrate in vain glory. That's the modern megachurch. They'll take the unbiblical license to just go ahead and sin it up. And then they will call you a legalist. When in reality, they're just a licensist. So when you're living for the Lord, you're trying to live a holy life. You're trying to live a righteous life. You see something in the Bible. You want to try to follow it. And somebody says, well, you're a legalist. Now you say you say to them, no, I'm not a legalist. You're a licensed. You just want to take your license to sin. Or you want to just take your license to just not do what God asked you to do. And you want to use grace as you're out. Yes, you're saved by grace. But after you're saved by grace, are you thankful that you were saved by grace? Then why not want to obey what God asks us to obey? His commandments shouldn't be grievous. Let us, Paul includes himself, 
All right. Finish up here. We look at provokers. Um, it, the Bible says, let's not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Provokers are continually poking. They have an attitude of defiance. They always have a spirit of ill will that's brewing. In Colossians, we see fathers are told, they say, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. In Ephesians 4, we see any fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the, of, of the Lord. Anybody know what happened when you poke a lion? It's an explosion. Have you ever seen any of those YouTube videos where somebody gets too close and then all of a sudden a lion just, it's like the watch and wait. No, nothing's happened. Just wait. And then boom, the lion goes. You don't want to poke a lion. Because there's going to come a point where he's going to pour his wrath out on you. It's not going to go well for you. But Hebrews 10 tells us, let us consider one another, here's something to provoke, unto love and to good works. Isn't it great to have a Christian friend that just kind of prods you and pokes you and provokes you? Hey, why don't we, uh, why don't we get together, sit out on the porch, do a little Bible study? Isn't it nice to have a friend that kind of provokes and prods and pokes, keeps poking, say, hey, why don't we go out and hold some scripture signs for an hour and see if we can do some evangelism. Isn't it nice to have Christian friends that provoke you under love and the good works? It is. That's what we should focus on as Christians for our provoking. And then we see enviers. It's continually wanting what other people have. Now, I knew that some of you have already raised your children or are raising great, great children now grandchildren um so i'm sure you're foreign to children seeing something and wanting something that another kid has right <laughs> no of course not that's all they do they see what little johnny has and then on the car ride home it's mom can i have and mom has to say no be content with what you have but We do have this segment where grown Christians, we can easily complain about how, well, the young people today, they're just overtaken with Hollywood. The young people today, all they do is listen to all this bad music, and we need to be careful that our hearts aren't full of envy on other things. What I'm saying is it's easy to find it in others. It's easy to point it out in our kids. But sometimes we need to turn the mirror around and see if there's any envying and provoking in our own lives. True Bible-based, Christ-centered, God-glorifying Christianity is completely free from destructive envy. It's completely free from provoking others and prideful boasting. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Lest any man should boast. 
We're going to go to Romans 3 and we'll close out. I'll finish where I started. We need to use the right measuring stick. And the self-righteous, they will boast in themselves. They'll say, I'm not bad. Plenty of people live worse than me. They use the wrong measuring stick. It's a vain and shallow stick. Measure yourself by Jesus Christ and his perfect word. Let's get ready to close and read Romans chapter number three, verse number 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is as an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may be guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. And here it is, last verse. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? Nay but by the law of faith. If you've not put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're boasting in something else. You are saying to God, I don't need to come to you by faith. I can boast, God. I'm okay. I've done this. I've done that. I've done this. I'm not as bad as this guy. I'm not as bad as this family. I'm not as bad as this woman. It is a way of boasting, but you can come to God. If you're not saved, you can come to God on his terms and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve hell. There's nothing I can do. There's no boasting I bring to you, God. I just want to put my faith and trust in your merit and in your value. Lord, will you save me? Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.